the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. We often lament about our past or obsess about what may happen in the future. In these states of mind, fear can take over. According to today's guest, Lawrence Duchin, in that state, we're never okay and we can never solve our problems. He believes that by increasing our awareness of our own thoughts, we can pull our attention back to the present, reconnect with our hearts, and free ourselves of fear's grip. Lawrence maps out a heartful method for overcoming fears and bad memories. He's the author of A Book on Fear, Feeling Safe in a Changing World. Welcome, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you for having me on. So, Larry, we are certainly living in uncertain times today, and it's very easy to get trapped in a vortex of bad news. Why do you believe that this is a harmful state for us to be living in? Well, it's really not our natural state. We are meant to live in a state of joy, and I believe we're in very changing and evolving and growing times, and the universe is bringing us all opportunities individually and collectively to grow and awaken and evolve. And these opportunities come up so that we can release what is false within us that's not serving us. Sometimes we don't, a lot of times we don't see that. Um, And then so that we can move more to a state of peace and joy and knowing really who we are uh, at at a higher level than just the ego consciousness level. Tell us a little bit about what happened in your life that set you on this path of healing. Well, I was, I trace this back to, I was sexually abused by my mother when I was uh, going through puberty, which actually was obviously a very difficult time to have that happen. It's bad to have that happen anytime, but certainly through puberty, you're forming concepts of love and and uh, sexual energies and, and all of that. And so I came out of that experience with a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, a lot of anger, a lot of shame. And I didn't realize that to my really into my early 30s, I, I, I kind of say I was awakened just to, you know, all the dysfunctional patterns I had. And I was causing a lot of uh, dysfunction in my relationships with my wife and with my children, and with others. And I was a very angry and depressed person. So I started working on unraveling all of these, uh, all of this conditioning and these false beliefs I had that originated from that abuse. So my work is around the concept of change your attitude, change your life. I, I believe in the importance of our thoughts and how they relate to our physical and our emotional well-being. Why do you believe that it's important to harness the power of mindfulness in order for us to witness our own thoughts? What you're teaching is is incredible, and in, in it's important, very important for us to move to that state. But in order to do that, we have to uncover what is happening inside of us that we're not aware of. It's kind of like a computer virus that's running underneath the surface and affects the operation of the computer. Well, all of our false beliefs and programming and conditioning is affecting the operation of us. So we have to uncover that. And one of the ways in which we do that is to bring our attention to the present moment. So you know, certainly there's a huge number of, of awesome spiritual teachers who talk about mindfulness, and and there's been 
a number of uh, historical mystical figures who have said, you know, only the now exists. And science has actually confirmed this, basically, that time is not fixed, it's not linear, it's relative. So really only the present moment exists. And in that moment, everything is okay. Um, what happens is that we, if you start to watch your stream of thoughts, you'll see how your thoughts are always in the past or they're always in the future. And both of those places, especially the future, are areas where it's breeding ground for fear because, we're, like for the future, we're thinking, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? And then you just you, your mind goes off on this trail of thoughts. It's a downward cycle that you can't get out of. And so if we pull ourselves back to the present moment, in the present moment, we're okay. And, and we can, uh, that is our natural state. And the more that we do that, the more we flex that spiritual muscle, and then the more we're there and the less we will be in fear. Do you think it's important, and, and I agree with you about staying in the present, but do you think it's important for us to look back only when we need to figure out why we were living the life we were? For example, I got into my early 40s, and I could never understand why so many people took advantage of me. You know, I always felt like I was only as good as the, the last thing I did for someone. And it was after I went through tremendous loss in my family, uh, uh, death of my mother and my sister, and a, a reexamination of my marriage that I realized somewhere along the line, I learned that I needed to be the good girl. And in essence, I believed people wouldn't love me unless I did something for them to make them love me. So do you think it's important to look back to gain those realizations so that you can move forward and live in the present more healthily? Absolutely. I mean, what you went through is such a blessing to you, and it's a blessing to everybody that you encounter now because you're you're so much healthier and your relationships are so much healthier. And so we have to look back and to see how that we have been conditioned uh, both, you know, in our childhoods by other caretakers, maybe in our jobs, you know, by an abusive boss, how we uh, have been conditioned by society in so many ways that are unhealthy. And, you know, knowledge is power. So once we shine the light on uh, how we've been conditioned, we're able to say that conditioning does not serve me. That's not who I am. And that, and I want to drop that. And one of the things that I advocate in the book is, is basically looking at your, re, uh, your reactions and your emotions and how you get triggered because those are pointers to tell us where our false beliefs are. And then once we can see where our false beliefs are, we can see the conditioning that created those beliefs, and then we can start to unravel and heal those. And because so many of us, you know, you shared a painful experience, I shared a painful experience, and so many people take those experiences, and that's what they write their future life story uh, about. They base their story on those experiences. So if you were going to try to move forward and not have your story be based on what you've gone through. We have to distance ourselves from that memory loop. How can we go about doing that? Well, I think the, the first thing you have to do is you have to want you have to want it, okay? And so a lot of people will say, I want it, but then they become aware of these things and then they don't take action. So it's not like it's just going to magically go away. You have to work at it, and the universe is going to bring you a lot of opportunities to work on that. That's kind of why we're here. And so these things will keep coming up, and you have to, you know, you have to change how you do things. So, for instance, if you recognize that you are, um, that you are afraid of being, uh, not having a significant other, and you are in, you know, you go from relationship to relationship and the dysfunctional relationships, if you keep doing going from relationship to relationship, it's not going to change. You have to basically say, oh, okay, I need to address the fear I have around uh, not being with myself or not loving myself, whatever, you know, that base core belief is, and start to change that. And, and, and then once you do that, you're going to be really empowered to see who you are because what you've been doing, like what you were talking about, Joan, in terms of of your history, you know, you were, until you recognize that and change that, you were giving your power away to all those other individuals. So we have to take our power back and, and we have to do this through, you know, the opportunities that come, that life will bring to us to, to change that. And once we commit to the path and doing that, it's really, a, it's really amazing path and the universe will support us in a very loving way to do that. 
and you know bring us again bring us opportunities to do that and to say yes to us instead of saying you know give me our power away for instance well and what happens is until you realize why you're doing the things you are you actually set yourself up to fulfill what your greatest fear is so in my case, my greatest fear was that someone wouldn't love me unless I did for that person. So what do I do? I marry someone with narcissistic tendencies who based his love on what I did for him. So I, you know, after 23 years, I was depleted because I fulfilled my greatest fear. I made that happen. So as you're saying, once we recognize what our fears are, then we can take the actionable steps to release ourselves from living that, out that prophecy that we really believed we would be living. Yeah, actually, that's how, exactly how it works because the, the very – I talk about in the book, I talk about vehicles for our growth and how there's so many different t- types of vehicles. And oh, the very vehicle that is intended for your growth is the one that's causing you all that angst, and that's mm-hmm. on purpose because – you have to learn that lesson before you move on to another lesson. It's not like, okay, you know, you, you just can like magically step over that lesson. It's the, the, the very thing that is that's causing the problem is, is the vehicle that life's bringing to you that you have to like, you have to, you know, learn that before you move on. Do you think that the way we define success or failure, do you think that those definitions contribute to our fears? Oh, certainly. You know, we are heavily conditioned uh, in Western society, especially in the U.S. Certainly, we're told that we should live the American dream and have all of these, you know, have wealth and have a uh, career where where we are known and, and have a big house and have successful children who go to great colleges. And so, that is that's a that's a very false definition of success but a lot of people have taken that on and what happens is you end up like the gerbil in the wheel that just keeps going and going nobody knows where they're going what i would say to people is you know if you have that definition of success number one it's an arbitrary definition of success when when do you reach that you know you can't really reach something that's arbitrary and then why are you why is that your definition of success uh so if we can kind of step back and take a look and say, why am I doing the things I'm doing? This is kind of crazy. Um, then, you know, we can, again, take our power back from societal marketing, conditioning, because society wants to sell us a lot of products and services. So they tell us, you know, you're not good enough uh, unless you have this product or service. You know, you need to be like the Joneses. You need to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, you need this uh, product or service to to make you think better, to do whatever. And so we're constantly bombarded with messages that we're not good enough and that we need something outside of ourselves. And that's not the case. We've been talking about the fears that we set up for ourselves, the things that we believe. But we're living in a world today with the pandemic. And and so, you know, there are very real fears that are taking place, fear of economic and financial insecurity and fear of getting sick and losing loved ones and, and what will happen when we experience that kind of loss. So how do we balance the real fears, the fears in this challenging world, with the fears that we tend to, and I don't want to use the word make up, but the fears that we create. How do we balance those two? That's a great question. So, I mean, that's something that that I've had to balance myself, even kind of considering myself an expert on fear. So I think what we have to do is like when we're talking about the pandemic, we have to live in caution, not fear. Okay. And so, you know, one of the things, fear is not solved by something outside of us. So for instance, if we if we have fear over not having a significant other, it doesn't get solved by going from relationship to relationship. Or if we, um, you know, have another fear, it doesn't get solved by buying a product or service. Uh, we have to go inside ourselves and look at the source of the fear and heal that. But we, again, we have to balance that with there are certain things that we need to be cautious about, and so certainly. Uh, you know, taking precautions within the pandemic so that we don't get sick is something that I've done. Um, but I don't but I'm not going to live my life in fear because fear robs us of our power. And I can see just huge numbers of people who are living in fear regarding the pandemic. And it's, again, it's robbing them of of 
it's robbing them of, of their power. And so they need to come back inside and say, oh, OK, I, I'm I'm fearful because it, the, the base fear for all of this is getting sick and dying. OK. And so the base fear that we that collectively we hold for all of us is a fear of what happens when we die and wh- who are we going to who or what are we going to meet? OK. So and, and as we grow older, that fear increases for a lot of people. And that that's that's the fundamental base fear that we all need to address. And that's what's coming up regarding uh, the pandemic and being forced up collectively within all of us. So we've been talking about actionable steps that people can take. But if you could sum it up and bullet point it, what can a person do to live in the now and overcome fear? So the first step is, is again, we have to become aware of our fears. Uh, we can't fix a problem unless we know what the problem is. So to do that, we have to uh, look at our emotions and reactions, how we get triggered. See, uh, you know, a lot of times we're, we're not angry for the reasons we think we're angry. There's usually fear. There's, there's guilt or there's uh, some kind of maybe grief behind the anger. Carl Jung, who's the, the uh, and uh, head of uh, who founded analytical psychology said that projection is a very common phenomenon. So usually we're projecting like our self-judgment out as projections of judgment. We're projecting our guilt out as, as uh, blame. So we have to pull our projections back in. We have to see, you know, where the, the beliefs and conditioning came from and start to unravel that. That's, that's the first step. The second step is to cultivate and apply practices that put us in the now and in the body because all of our false beliefs are, are stored cellularly. So we want to basically do practices like, you know, being in nature is a big thing that puts me in the now, like doing, you know, yoga or uh, meditation or um, drumming or doing some kind of artwork, something that, you know, puts you in the moment and other practices that put you in the body. The third thing that we have to do is basically we have to want what I call want it, allow it and trust it. So we really have to want to have change and then we have to, you know, take the steps the universe brings us. To make that change happen, and we have to trust the process. We have to trust that there's something on the back end that will be much better for us than the, than the dysfunctional relationships we, uh, you know, that we currently are in. And then the last step is that we have to um, basically be more heart-centered because the electromagnetic field of the heart is 60 times larger than the one from the brain. So that's literally the seat of our consciousness. And when we're in the now. And in our body, we are in the heart. And, and the way that we get into the heart is to, is to use gratitude, compassion, and forgiveness. The book is A Book on Fear, Feeling Safe in a Challenging World. If you would like to learn more about Larry and his work, you can visit lawrenceduchin.com. That's D-O-O-C-H-I-N, lawrenceduchin.com. Larry, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? What I want to tell you is, is that that everything's going to be okay. Uh, you know, this is a, a very challenging time, but it's also a very evolving time. When things die off, new things happen. This is what happens in the forest. And so this is a time when a lot of what does not serve us is, is dying off individually and collectively. And we just need to go inside ourselves and know who we are as divine beings. And we need to, um, you know, trust in that and then just flow with what the universe brings us and try and address our fears uh, inside of us as opposed to trying to do something outside of us. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It has really been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Joan. I really appreciate being on. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends.
great productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Mary Petto, a Law of Attraction coach and transformational speaker. She's the author of the book, The Family Guide to the Law of Attraction. Mary is here today to discuss manifesting for kids. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jen. I'm happy to be here. So, Mary, your work with the Law of Attraction, you believe that there is a lifelong impact on kids who understand the manifesting power. At what age can kids begin to utilize this power and bring the things that they want into their life? Well, I would say, I would say this. You know, the law of attraction, um, if you are going to use this universal law that brings to us and manifests for us everything that we want, um, it really does work for any age. I personally have spoken to audiences and had clients as young as nine, um, and they get it. And I would say not only do they get it, but they happen to be some of my best clients because... I think as adults, we have a lot of that kind of excess baggage and way too many years of experience of things not working out the way we expect them to. Um, but kids, on the other hand, come to learning and understanding the law of attraction when they're taught it, um, I would just say with much wider eyes and uh, sort of a deeper understanding. In other words, they internalize it faster because they don't have limiting beliefs getting in the way of any of this. Um, But, you know, in addition to that, you know, homes where um, understanding of the fact that the law of attraction is always at work and the whole family is on board, um, when they bring certain practices, even to their little ones, about looking for signs from the universe, um, about talking about what they wish for and how they wish for and how they talk about it, practices of gratitude, that stuff stays with you forever. It really, really does, as long as we keep that practice going. Um, So I think, you know, the larger answer to your question is there really is no youngest age, um, but, you know, in terms of when kids start to be cognizant of the need to understand how they can play with the quantum field to make things work out better for them, You know, I'm thinking, you know, my experience is it's about fourth grade. Do you think children do this more organically through imagination and the pretend life? I think I think that's a great point, Joan. Um, You know, they have that ability to think of possibilities. And that is, in fact, what the law of attraction is all about. I mean, even uh, Albert Einstein had said, if you want to know what the future looks like, look to your own imagination. And that points to how everything begins as an idea. Everything begins as a sort of ask of the universe. And then the cooperative components of the quantum field sort of come together and bring that through to fruition. So with a natural ability to have imagination like a child, I think that absolutely um, you know, is a pre-predictor of one's ability to be able to manifest more and more as they get older. So when you look at kids versus adults, are there major differences in the results? Yes. Um, I've seen adults manifest quickly all the time. I do it all the time. I see coincidences and synchronicities everywhere I look. And the people I work with once they make this kind of transformation to understanding fundamentally what's been going on around them, it happens quickly. But as an adult, you know, kind of like we've talked about, you know, we've got these years and years of past experiences of um, the what ifs and that's not possible. And I need to prepare for the worst possible outcome if I'm going to be safe about how I move through my world every day and, and how I plan. Um, kids, you know, no such thing. You know, if they've got their problem and they're looking for a solution and, um, you know, when, when they can relate it without having to compare it to, you know, a negative world energy and things like that, um, it happens overnight. I'll give you two very quick stories, you know, right from the book, which is just full of examples 
of kids and adults manifesting quickly. Um, so speaking of fourth graders, um, I had a client, she was a girl, and she was a wonderful student and a very sweet child, but she was being bullied by two other girls in her class, the social bullying. Um, and it was just one session, um, and literally the next day the, the bullies were gone. I'll just put it that way without being a spoiler. They were just gone. Um, another client of mine was actually a boy in high school. Um, he wasn't being bullied, but he was certainly unhappy. It just seemed like um, the circumstances around him at school were just working against him. He didn't get to sit with his friends. He was separated from his friends for gym class. And like all of these things that were sort of permanently set, you know, how high school could be. These are your permanent seats. These are your permanent workout crew at gym class and, and other things like that. He just generally was in a morose state. Um, and so working with him one session, just even, and I believe it was over the phone and just shifting the vibration and visualizing the outcome he was looking for, everything changed once again the next day at school. Um, and I think there's an openness. There's such an openness with kids um, that, you know, they can really play with the energetic field any way they want. Do you think this is something we should be teaching our children in school? Absolutely. And I actually, I have a program all set up. Um, I hope to launch it soon. But yes, absolutely. I think we can tremendously shift the way our children approach their days, approach their life. And um, it's, it's lessons that will carry them through. Because once you get a taste of your power to control your outcomes, you know, not only um, do you wake up positive and understanding that you actually can have whatever you want, um, but you kind of spread that joy that much further. And any sense of anxiety, which is based in, in a fear of sorts, tends to start dissipating the more you understand how you do have control over the outcome. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about the Law of Attraction or Mary and her work, you can visit PortableVisions.com. And as always, to hear more from Mary, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com slash Mary P. We'll be right back. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a French child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed, then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, 
Rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Are you ready to turn your ideas into a successful business? According to today's guest, Carrie Green, there has never been a better time to say yes. With a computer and an internet connection, you can get your ideas, messages, and business out there like never before. Carrie provides tools to help you bring your vision to life. She's a founder of the Female Entrepreneur Association. She's the author of the book, She Means Business, Turn your ideas into reality and become a wildly successful entrepreneur. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Carrie, you began your first online business at age 20. What type of business was that? So, it was an online business unlocking cell phones, which is really random. I basically ran out of money and I went on Google to try and find ideas for what I could do to make money. Mm-hmm. And this opportunity came up um, to be a reseller um, using the software that they'd created to unlock phones. So it was random. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was a starting point. What was the outcome of that business? So um, I very quickly learned a lot about the online world, online marketing and when I graduated from university, the business was doing so well, I decided instead of doing, carrying on with law, that's why I was studying law, instead of carrying on with that, I decided to keep building the business. And we got to the point where we were turning over $50,000 a month. We had hundreds, like over 100,000 visits to the website every month. Um, it was incredible. I truly realized the power of the internet. Well, you know, Carrie, I work with a lot of people that are so afraid of the internet and social media. So why do you say that it is really a wonderful way to get your messaging out there? What benefits does it offer to a business person? Oh, blimey. The internet has just completely transformed the way we all do business. It's reduced the barriers to entry. You know, gone are the days where you needed to go to the bank, get a loan to start your business. Today, you can have an idea or a message that you want to share. You can go onto your laptop or your computer, go even on Facebook, and you can find groups and communities of people who are people who would want to hear your message, who would resonate with you, who would be potential fans, followers, customers, subscribers. And I think it's just incredibly powerful. We all have that at our fingertips. Um, And it's just, it's transformed the way we all can build a business. Pretty much everyone is on the internet these days. All generations are on the internet. Um, We we go on there, whether we're Googling things to look stuff up, um, whether we're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all those social media platforms that we all use to stay in touch. And ultimately, business is about people and it's about building relationships and connecting with people. And so I think people who aren't leveraging it are really missing out on getting out there and getting their message, their business, their ideas in front of their audience and, you know, building those relationships with those people. What are some of the other greatest challenges? challenges that entrepreneurs face? I think the biggest one is themselves. Mm -hmm. So I actually recently put out a survey where I was asking people, what's the biggest thing that's holding you back from creating the success you want? And over and over and over again, it was fear. I'm just constantly getting in my own way. Mm -hmm. And everyone experiences this all the time. Like I experience it now. And so for me, I think a huge part of my journey towards creating the success has been figuring out how I can condition myself to move past the fears and the doubts, to rise above them and to create the success I want. Um, So it's kind of figuring out how to tune out the negative voice in our head and how we can really empower ourselves to keep going. Um, And for me, I think that is the absolute key to doing anything successfully, whether you want to build a successful business or whether you've got other um, dreams and goals, the key to turning them into reality is figuring out how you can move past the resistance that's caused from within, from the fears and the doubts and the worries so that you can actually get on, take action and make it happen. 
Carrie, you'll probably agree with this. I think, you know, in going with what you're saying, people are afraid because they think that it's it's kind of like from A to Z, that there's this straight line and you either make it or you don't. And it's all of those times that you, you've taken a chance and it didn't work out the way you thought it would. And then you've learned how to think outside the box or be more creative. And, and it's all of those little risks or, or those little steps that you take that leads you in the direction. And, and I think that's what so many people miss out on. They just think it's going to happen. And that's not how it happens at all. No, definitely not. It would be nice if it did, but it doesn't. But that's um, where the growth is. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. I feel like it's actually from my mistakes that I have been able to grow so much because I learned so much from them. And so while going through the mistake or the challenge or the obstacle was really frustrating, looking back now, I am so unbelievably grateful for all of them because they taught me so much. And I say all the time, you have to honor the process. It's like you said, it's not a straight line. It's a, it's a mess. It's <laughs> messy. It's chaotic. It's, you know, ups and downs and twists and turns. And sometimes you take five steps backwards um, and you've got to honor the whole process because every little part of it is leading you towards creating um, more success. It's enabling you to grow even the tough stuff. I had shared a success with a group of people and one of the women actually rolled her eyes and said, you're so lucky. Everything always happens for you. And and in my head, I was screaming, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea how hard I work or how creatively I have to think? Nothing is, it it just happens. I mean, there's that great quote that says, the harder I work, the luckier I become. (laughs) Yeah, and it's true. I always say success is not an accident. You have to create it on purpose because there are those people out there that look at other people and think, oh, it's okay for you or you're just really lucky and really fortunate. Um, but it's, that is not true at all. Like every single day, we all have to wake up and make the conscious decision to create the success we want in our lives, to make it happen. And I think when we do that, our lives transform. It's not like you get to a level where you've created a lot of success and think, whoops, how did I get here? <laughs> like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Well, you know, we've been talking about taking a chance and moving forward, but even before you can do that, you have to get a vision about what it is you want to achieve. So what do you advise in order to gain that type of clarity? I think it depends on what stage you're at. So for those people who have this feeling inside like there's something more for them to be doing, but they're just not quite sure what it is, instead of getting hung up on the fact you don't know what to do, you've got to get off that thought process and you've got to open yourself up to being curious and exploring the possibilities. You know, learning about success, learning about business and um, soaking it all up and just expanding yourself because it's through taking action that clarity unfolds. You can't just sit there with a pen and a piece of paper and hope that you're going to come up with a great idea or suddenly have clarity. Um, You know, everything's an evolution. And even in business, you might start out with one idea, which then might transform into something else as you go along. In fact, that happens all the time. So it's not about having the perfect idea. I think it's about getting started. Carrie, what qualities do you believe most successful people share? I honestly think the biggest thing is about it's about mindset. It's about who you are as a person. It's about how much they grow. I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs and every single one of them works on themselves. Like they work on figuring out how they can keep on going, how they can move past their fears, their doubts and their worries. Um, And I think that this is liberating because it's not about having a really good idea. It's not about being talented or being a really skilled person. It's about just being willing to grow as a person and to want to just stand and better yourself and to live an exceptional life. And I think it's the people that are in that frame of mind that create the success for themselves. And that's liberating because we can all do that. We can all choose to be that person. Um, But that's the, the, the common thread that I see between successful people is that. The book is She Means Business, Turn Your Ideas into Reality and Become a Wildly Successful Entrepreneur by Carrie Green. If you'd like to get more information about Carrie or her work, you can visit the website femaleentrepreneurassociation.com. Carrie, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? So my uh, parting words would be to create a mission for yourself. Um, I had my mission. It was called Mission Success. And I went out there to see what would be possible if I conditioned myself for success and I opened myself up to building the dream business and creating my dream life. And that decision changed everything. So I would just encourage everyone to do that, to create their own Mission Success Challenge and go out there and just see what is possible um, and see what you what amazing things you can make happen. Carrie, thank you so much for being here with us today and for providing 
providing this information to help us turn that idea into a reality. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. Do all leaders have followers? Well, not exactly. Leading others is defined as formal leadership, and it's only part of the full picture. As a leader, the most important person you will ever lead is you. To most effectively lead others, consider mastering the art of self-leadership. Understand who you are and what gives your life value. Establish your life's purpose and pursue it with confidence, skill, and commitment. Know where you're going and how you're going to get there. Leadership of others begins with leadership of self, and leadership of self begins with the development of your personal potential. In order to become more of a leader, you need to become more of you. Everyone has leadership potential. We've seen it with emergencies, where people step up to the plate and become heroes. We observe leadership daily in more routine and everyday situations. Parents assume a leadership role in the home, and in social settings, someone assumes a role to influence where the group will go or what they'll do. Although everyone has the potential to lead, few develop it. Because of this, they never experience the thrill of a significant accomplishment and the satisfaction of becoming the best they can be. Why? Some may not be aware that the opportunity for growth exists. Others may not know where to begin. Still, others don't take the time and make the effort to understand the process. And unfortunately, many people think life is a spectator sport. The success of our business organizations and the future of our society depends on the effectiveness of leaders like you. If you would like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, staronprofessional.com. your health. Joining us today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Find Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Joan. Thank you. Eileen, last month we discussed intuitive eating in more of a general sense. And Today, we're going to talk about what we will eat and how this will impact body weight. So briefly, can you just remind our listeners about what intuitive eating means? I certainly can. Intuitive eating basically says that we were born knowing how to eat. And remember back to last month when we saw that baby being fed by its mom and baby signaling mom that she was hungry and baby also signaling mom when she had had enough food. We are hardwired to do just that. We can know and learn about our hunger. So our bodies will tell us when we're hungry, we eat. Our bodies will tell us when we've had enough food and we stop. So that's basically the premise of intuitive eating. So I think you know that most of us are conditioned to be looking for some type of a quote-unquote diet or meal plan. So if someone was going to adopt an intuitive eating lifestyle, what would intuitive meals look like? What would people be eating? Um, well, th- that's uh, an, an in-general question that actually is uh, a little bit uh, challenging to answer because we all have different appetites meaning our taste buds are going to drive us in different directions. However, I will tell you in general that our bodies need primarily fuel foods. And those are foods that are high in proteins, high in good fats, and high in complex carbohydrates. So I have to say that Um, for the uh, majority of our day, we need those fuel foods. However, that does not mean, and this is what I love about intuitive eating, that I can't have the occasional chocolate chip cookie or the occasional dish of ice cream because those are, uh, I call them recreational foods, foods that I love, foods that I enjoy. Um, would those give me the same kind of fuel component that the fuel foods actually do? Absolutely not. 
if I were to eat, for example, ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, at some point, my body would start to rebel. My body would, I, I would, might get sick. I might get tremendously fatigued. My brain not, might not be sharp and clear. And so that's why we need the fuel foods to do the stuff of our daily living. But the meals that I create with those fuel foods in mind um, are entirely uh, individualistic, up to me, up to you, um, based on the kinds of foods that we really enjoy. Eileen, anyone who has ever tried to lose weight knows what happens when they're going along and they're eating the, the fuel foods and they're eating all the things that are really nourishing the body. But then when they have that break and they have that piece of cake, psychologically, it's almost like you've undone all of the good that you've been doing for weeks. So does intuitive eating do something to us psychologically? Does it give us permission to break that diet mentality of all or nothing? Yes, and that's been my experience of it. And you said something really important, um, that that break or that undoing of all the good that I have done is psychological. There is nothing inherently wrong with having a piece of chocolate or an ice cream cone or a piece of cake. Now, granted, neither one of us said the whole cake. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem that sometimes uh, that people think that, oh, if I'm given permission to eat anything, I can eat the whole cake or the whole half gallon of ice cream. And we're not saying that. I'm not saying that. But intuitive eating allows for anything that we want to eat. And yes, Joan, when we give ourselves permission to have the foods that, and I'll put it, I'll frame it this way, the recreational foods that we really enjoy, then that actually can uh, propel our motivation to keep on this intuitive eating path. So we're not feeling like we've blown it, we've fallen off the wagon, we've let ourselves down. Um, any of that stuff doesn't apply anymore. And the next time I'm feeling hungry, I'm going to because when I'm feeling hungry, it is my body saying to me, Eileen, you need fuel. So the next time I'm hungry, I feed it with fuel foods. Does this approach work for weight management? And if yes, why? I do believe that it works for weight management, and um, I'm not the only one uh, in the world who follows intuitive eating who will say this, but I will speak personally for a moment, that I've been following intuitive eating, the intuitive eating approach for close to 30 years, and my weight's been stable for all of those years. My weight's been stable. I am healthy. I have a ton of energy. So the point is that um, in my case, it's been very good for weight management. Now, if we're talking about weight management as a woman who is desiring to lose weight and will not be happy with herself or with her body, uh, I'm not sure that I could say a yes for intuitive eating because that is, uh, again, a, a psychological need to be something different than in uh, a natural way my body wants to be or where this woman's body wants to land. But it is far more effective at stabilizing weight, maintaining a certain weight than a diet approach because, as we know, diets don't work. 95% of people uh, gain their weight back in, in one to five years, often many of them sooner than that. And so then there's this yo-yo uh, syndrome that actually is uh, more unhealthy for us than maintaining a higher weight. And when I say higher weight, I'm not talking about an unhealthy weight. I'm talking about a weight that might be higher than we women would want us to be. If you would like to learn more about Eileen and her work, you can visit findbodyfreedom.com. Or as always, to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. 
This has been a stressful year of twists and turns. Did you know that there are essential oils that can help you navigate these stressful situations? Hi, I'm Jill Merriman, a doTERRA certified essential oil specialist. I love helping people improve their overall well-being by using doTERRA essential oils because they're safe, effective, and natural. These wholesale price products are pure, nothing added, nothing taken away. During these tough times, there is more emphasis placed on self-care as a way to keep our stress level low, our outlook positive, and our immune system them strong. One of my favorite go-to doTERRA products is their calming blend called Adaptive. When stress and tension seem to be relentless, Adaptive Calming Blend is the perfect solution. Use Adaptive to help get comfortable with new surroundings or situations. When a big meeting is coming up or other important events, keep Adaptive Calming Blend on hand. Whether you're feeling fatigued or restless, indecisive or irritable, Adaptive Calming Blend is part of the toolbox to help the body and mind to stay balanced. What makes this citrusy floral blend exceptional is that it has some stress-relieving oils along with energizing and uplifting lifting oils. It calms you down and lifts your mood at the same time. And who couldn't use that during these hectic months? If you're interested in learning more on how essential oils can help you, contact me at jill at jillmerriman.com for a complimentary 30-minute wellness consultation. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.